Hey folks, welcome to Onto Waveland. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sadaf Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Uh, speaking of Tops, I figure I would mention, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the one, the Project 70 that was for uh, this week. It was an Ernie Banks sort of like styled in the 1956 style. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, did you guys get a chance to look at that or am I the only, uh, I, I'm not the only yeah, baseball no. card nerd in this in this group. <laughs> I'm definitely a baseball card nerd, and uh, yeah, I, I check it out. I check out Tops Project 70 pretty regularly, and I, I definitely notice the Banks one. They've had a couple Banks ones, and they're nice. Uh, I'm a fan of of what Tops has been doing the this past this year and last year as well with their Project 2020. So they've been doing some fun stuff with some fun artists. Uh, you know, everyone, I, I people that I talk to, I know uh, Megan on the Cubs beat as well as a card collector. And, and I chat with her a lot about what's going on with project 70 and which ones we're collecting and, and which artists we're focused on, but it's always nice to see a cub. Uh, there haven't been as many cubs as I think Cubs fans would like. So, so it's always nice when there's a banks or a hobby that pops up. They had a, um, a Sammy Sosa one, maybe that we might've mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago and a buddy of mine just got his you know his physical one in the mail and so he was texting us about that he was pretty stoked to have that one sammy sosa who, who's this you speak of is he on marquee is he one of the marquee analysts or is he singing the seventh inning stretch this weekend i believe there's a bit of clever marketing going on he's been held out of the mix in the hall of fame and those things so that there can be this momentous event the unveiling of sammy's plaque it will be the most celebrated plaque uh since certain other plaques uh we already had the plaque cast so we we have to move on from that but uh yeah so uh we're here to talk cubs obviously and uh that comes on the heels of uh, a series sweep the cubs they're great again right they (laughs) they can sweep the twins they're back baby i mean i'll just i'll dispense with the cognitive dissonance at the top that was a a very important series in terms of reverse standings and in that respect and in that respect alone it went quite horribly for the cubs that was those were essentially two if you look ahead on the schedule kind of two must lose games if you wanted to try to stay ahead of the twins uh didn't happen so the cubs are just gonna have to put on their big boy pants and lose some uh these uh pirates games this week but We'll 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 leave it there because there was some good stuff in the series and and I don't I never want to forget the fact that like for example if Justin Steele were to take steps forward right and develop as a starting pitcher and contribute as a starting pitcher that has way more value than being like one pick higher and one slightly larger bonus pool uh, in the next year's draft and so I I certainly don't want to lose sight of that and I don't want folks to lose sight of that because at least for last night's game I thought that was a once again, I, I keep using the word interesting. Every time Justin Steele starts, I'm like, that was interesting. Um, and it was, and we'll get into why, but it was also compelling. I thought it was a very well-approached game by both in terms of what he tried to execute and did. And then obviously with Adbert Alzali coming back and pitching out of the bullpen and getting the very rare four-inning save. Uh, so that was that was a very impressive night from those two pitchers, I thought, against a... Twins team that's quite bad, but that a, a lineup that still has some thunder in it. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, when it comes to Justin Steele, I think what I took away from that start and just what what I want to see continue to go continue going forward is that fastball command. He didn't have his slider, right? He said he didn't even have it. He kind of noticed in pregame warmups and they and they adjusted the game plan because of that uh, kind of on the fly. I think that's huge because that slider is a huge weapon for him. But here's the thing. like If he doesn't have the feel for it, he has two fastballs that he's learning to command and that he really commanded pretty well yesterday. And he also has a curveball that he's thrown since he was a teenager. Like this guy's had the curveball forever. He learned the slider last year at the alt site. So to have that in his back pocket, it's not his best breaking ball, right? The slider, when it's on, it's a nasty pitch and it's his best pitch. It's his best, uh, you know, swing and miss pitch. Uh, but to have that curveball, that's, I mean, these are the types of things that David Ross talks about when he talks about it's got to go beyond stuff. It's got to go beyond what the pitch data says. I want to see someone battle out there when they don't have their best stuff. Uh, that's really important to becoming a, a, a major league starter. I, I don't know what Justin Steele is going to end up as. Uh, he clearly has the ability to be a multi-inning reliever at minimum. Uh, can he be a, a starter? Can he eat five, six innings as a fourth or fifth starter? That's what we're trying to figure out here right now, right? And and I liked yesterday's outing. Oh, I'd say like if you can kind of do what yesterday's outing and, and bring in what he had in, in the Reds outing when he was in Cincinnati, I think you mix those two outings and... That's a starter that's really interesting then. Then then that's the guy where you're like, okay, yeah, I feel good about going with this guy as a back-end rotation piece. Uh, but yeah, right now we're just learning more about him. And I, I like little outings like that where it's like, okay, I battled through. Don't have, don't have everything that I should have, but I, I know how to get out still. Brett, did you compare Justin Steele to Sean Marshall? Was that one of your uh, writings? I thought that was a yeah, good, I mean, I, a good com- I will... comparison. Yeah, we had mentioned it before, but then it was just a funny happenstance that uh, Marquis sent out, or, or in their broadcast, they had mentioned, God, it was a crazy stat, and I'm going to mess it up a little bit, but it was like, Cubs rookie starting pitchers who've gone at least five innings and allowed one or fewer hits or something like that. And it was this Justin Steele outing, Sean Marshall from, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, and the Kerry Wood game. Uh, which was just a funny mix, but that that Marshall it it does it stands out, especially given what we remember about Marshall's ability to kind of couldn't quite get over those middle innings, couldn't quite be efficient enough to extend his outings, but we knew he was dominant in relief, and they're both big, tall lefties with great breaking pitches, good live fastballs. Yeah, I mean, I like that comparison. Yeah, I mean, Justin Steele's not that tall, but I think it's a good reminder. Like Sean Marshall is a very good. Hey, hey, everybody is tall to me. Okay, well, I mean, like Sean Marshall is extra- <laughs> is like very tall, and Justin Steele is not. Just, I don't know why I'm, I'm getting fixated right on this, we- but <laughs> you keep talking. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Sean Marshall had an outstanding major league career, and that if that is what, what Justin. I'm just interrupting this. I am just, just, I am stamping all over this because Justice Steele is six <laughs> two. If that is not tall, then I am have been living in hell my entire life because that, I would, I would come up to his shoulder. Well, if that's what they're saying in the 
media guide. Like, okay. Yeah, I'm not buying that. <laughs> yeah, what am I in the, in, in the Cubs media guide? I'm, I might be able to pull six You're feet. Say, you, you Just because Sean Marshall's two defining traits guide. are he's really tall and left-handed. And I, I get the left-handed part with Steele, but I would not go there. But I like where your head's at otherwise in terms of Sean Marshall, great career. Um, I liked Auzelay kind of in that role instead of like anointing him as this like number two pitcher maybe for the next five years that he's been really interesting in these shorter bursts against certain pockets of a lineup. And as they're trying to build this thing, I think there's a lot of value in what those guys could potentially do. And if the floor is like Sean Marshall, that's really interesting for Steele. And if Owsley could be this like weapon that they use out of the bullpen. Like I think, you know, if you're a Cubs fan, you can get on board with that because that is far more reasonable than thinking any of these guys are going to throw 200 innings next year. Hey, can I drop a comp from that same era for Owsley? Since we're doing, you know, that, that 2000, what, six, seven, eight, nine Cubs era. How about Rich Harden for Owsley, right? He goes that he can, if you, only wanted four or five innings. It plays up a little bit. He adds a mile per hour to the fastball, uh, can limit the pitch mix a bit. You maybe don't have to see as many lefties, so on and so on. Because that was always the knock on Harden. I mean, he was fan freaking tastic for five innings, and then he had used up everything he had, and he, he was done. Uh, so, all right, the Cubs, they're, they're just recreating that, uh, you know, 2007, <laughs> 2008 crew. Uh, one other thing to note from the uh, the wins in Minnesota. Well, I mean, there were other things too. That, like, just a random note on the mammoth Ian Happ home run from the right-handed side. I mean, that thing was holy smokes. And he just—I uh, don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to. You, it's it's like we're in this zone where you can't say anything charitable about <laughs> Ian Happ right to, now. No. <laughs> yeah, without people being like, "Oh, you're just trying to rehab a terrible season." No, I'm just—he's been fantastic for like a month and a half now. That's all I'm saying. It's just. Those are just numbers. And then, man, that was that was just a really fun freaking home run. It, it, just uh, as far as individual homers go, that was a fun one to watch. It's yeah, I'm I'm so hesitant on the Ian Happ train right now just because he's he's shown right. We've seen months uh, put together. We've seen stretches of great play. It's still, you know. Overall, well below average season. Uh, I don't even think he has a 300 on base percentage yet. Uh, listen, he's we know Ian Happ, what he can do when he's right. Uh, something clearly was off for a while. Uh, if if he's able to get back in a rhythm, and yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's obviously a, a, a talented player. You don't get drafted in the top 10 if you're not, so... Uh, we've seen what he can do when he's right. I I'm I just hesitate with Ian Happ every single uh, ever since this extended stretch. It's like okay, I I need. It's going to be. I don't. I'm not sure if there's anything he can do this year that tells me. Yeah, I feel good about Ian Happ. Right, that's not possible. It's not possible. We're, that that ship has sailed as far as feeling comfortable about Ian Happ's future. But sure, you you want him to have a good uh, ending to this season, a good final September. And and kind of go into the off season reset and and hopefully try and carry over whatever was good and and flush the most of this season for him. Can can Ian Happ play first base? I was trying to think of I've trying <laughs> to think of like Sahadev and I were writing yesterday about you know kind of talk about the idea of you know would Rizzo come back? Probably not. And it does seem like the Cubs are 
into the Schwindels, Wisdoms, Revises, and I don't know, could you throw Hap over there too? Because it <laughs> seems like they're collecting lots of these types of hitters, and that's, I don't know where this is going, but I think they've like seen enough to where they're going to want to keep some of these guys around and see what they can do on an extremely kind of low cost and kind of mix and match and move guys around. And maybe that is more like hap speed that maybe he's not like the center fielder leadoff hitter, everyday guy of the future, but as an interchangeable piece and a guy who has to like earn it from opening day next year, I guess maybe, I guess it depends on how you feel about Schwindel, Brett. Yeah. Well, I think that that's probably one other useful thing to point out from this twin series is that uh, Schwindel is back on a little bit of a hot streak. And I mean, he hasn't really cooled down with the Cubs necessarily, but the, uh, what, three homers, three games with a homer in a row, uh, it kind of just brings it back to people talking about him after people focused on Patrick Wisdom and the Rivas call up. And I think, you know, when you dig in on Schwindel's numbers, he's over 100 plate appearances with the Cubs now. So while that's still not nearly enough to say we know for sure what he would be in the future, it at least gives you some measure of confidence about some of the contact quality, some of the swing and miss, things like that that tend to stabilize relatively quickly. And what you find is that his extremely strong results, which, I mean, he's he's got a weighted runs created plus near 170, um, are probably not entirely earned. There probably is a, a good bit of good fortune based on the contact quality. but. At the same time, you know, he is hitting the ball at an almost ideal launch angle, not to get too down in the weeds. He is not striking out. He's taking just enough walks. Uh, The discipline looks to be good. He is not hitting the ball on the ground. I mean, he's doing a lot of things that would support good production, legit good production. It's just that, you know, he's got a BAPIP that's like almost 400 and there's just, you dig into the data and there's never a it's a little more art than science. You know, you sort of are looking at the things you're like, okay, is this, could this be supportable? And I don't really see enough in there to say, oh yeah, yeah, he's totally earning a 385 BAPIP or whatever it is. So I would expect some, if he keeps performing like this, you would expect some natural regression in the productivity um, in the numbers, but he still would look like an above average hitter and a guy who's not making anything. And when you don't have that spot filled otherwise, and if he's going to be part of a mix of guys, I don't know. I wouldn't have the biggest complaints in the world about saying, you know what? Screw it. We're going to spend the money on the rotation, uh, maybe on an outfielder. Maybe we'll look at that shortstop pool. But first base, third base, we're going to go with Wisdom, Rivas, Schwindel. Maybe like you said, Ian Happ works in there some. I'd be fine with that as long as they did what they needed to do elsewhere. So I believe we talked about this briefly uh another podcast but uh just just a quick look uh i need to of course i bring it up and i and i shift things around he's hitting 358 with the 776 uh slugging against fastballs right so he's just destroying fastballs 250 batting average 386 slugging against breaking 200 300 against off speed right we're we're already seeing a shift in and usage of the fastballs against him, which is obvious. I mean, we you know that's going to happen, right? That's pretty natural. If a, if a guy shows you he can handle fastballs, this is this is the progression we see in adjustments, right? And and it's gotten uh, so September doesn't really count, 
uh, since it's one day, but apparently he got uh, off-speeded to death yesterday and still hit that three-run shot. I think it was off a fastball. Uh, so, it was a fastball up and in, up and in fastball. Right. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. I, it, I mean, the stuff that you brought up along with the fact that he's just crushing fastballs. I guess what this is, it goes back to what we were saying before uh, with wisdom, you know, like with he he can't he has that hole at the top of the zone. OK, well, maybe you get creative with how you platoon these guys. And and I agree with you, Brett, if if they're going to go spend money this offseason. And I think we we agree that nobody's ha- expecting Jed Hoare to hand out any six year deals or monster contracts. But, yeah, they're going to spend some money to fill out that roster. So it's not uh, the same, you know, expectation to lose 90 plus games. Uh, why go out and, and spend on a big first baseman, on a no-doubt first baseman, when you have all these pieces that can handle first base DH and, and just kind of, you know, they're they're interesting. Are they high upside prospects? Schwindel certainly is not, right? He's 30 years old. Uh, If he can continue to perform at some uh high above average level, you'd take that, right? Uh, Even for next year. Uh, this level, I mean, obviously you take that. That's that's special. Uh, but I, I don't expect that going forward. Revis is interesting, but no power at first base. That really that that's really hard to uh, have that guy be your your full time first baseman. But he's a good defender. Schwindel is eh. You know, Schwindel's fine. You know, passable at first. You don't. I haven't noticed anything glaring. Although I've had some scouts say to me like, "You're not. You you watch that over a full season. You're not gonna." You're, you're going to notice some things that, that are hard to watch as far as first basemen go. But, yeah, I, I think there's something there. that They have something where they can start putting together different pieces and, and really platoon the hell out of that position and spend money elsewhere. That That's what I think we're learning with, with the past month and a half and and what hopefully continues in September. They, they have something there that they can use. Uh, I don't know if it leads to them being a competitive team, but that's that's on them to figure the rest of that out this offseason. But I don't think you should go out and spend big on first base, in my opinion, because there's just not that guy. There's not some 27 year old first baseman that's like this is like, you know, the next great first baseman that just needs a heel slug for the next 10 years. That guy isn't there. And even if he is, I mean. Remember when when they when Jed and Theo first came, there were two big first basemen on the market in Prince Fielder and Albert Pujols. How many people were telling them to go get those guys? That that's great that they didn't, right? They were right to not go get the plotting first basemen and give them ten year insane deals and, and watch them break down almost immediately. That would be an amazing troll move by Jed just to bring back Pujols next year on like a veteran <laughs> minimum. He always hits at Wrigley, <laughs> yeah. right? So, and then like people had their Pujols Cubs jerseys, like bringing them out of the closet. <laughs> like I'm, I'm in. You know, a Pujols, Schwindel, Revis. You know, just put three roster spots to first base. You know, and uh, spend all your money on pitching because. Uh, I really don't think they can be holding, you know, four inning auditions at a time in April and May and June next year and uh, keep anyone happy. So to me, that's where all the money goes to the rotation. And I think they would get a pretty good return on their, their investment in that area. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be digging in a lot uh, in the weeks and months ahead on rotation and as it relates to what has been uncovered or not internally 
and what's available or not in the off season. Uh, before we wrap, wanted to give you guys a chance to plug uh, what I thought was a really fantastic piece. I was sort of like both very much waiting for this piece, but also kind of dreading it because then we have to relive the trade deadline and what happened and the emotions of it and all of that. Uh, and you guys put together a really fantastic behind the scenes uh, write up of what happened, how it happened, why it happened, why things played out like they did. A lot of really interesting nuggets in there uh, that folks should definitely check out. Was there anything that either was left on the cutting room floor that was interesting or that was included, but you wanted to, you know, needle a little further or just anything that you thought was particularly interesting? I think you touched on this actually, Brett, when you, when you uh, wrote about our piece, but I, I, it stood out to me that the Jake Arietta game was the, was the tipping point it felt like that. I think every, I think while we were watching it in the press box, I remember everyone thinking like, well, this is definitely the end for Jake, right? He got a couple more starts after that, but that was, we all kind of looked at each other like, he can't make another start. Are they going to claim that they're in this, that they're competing and they're going to put this guy out there every fifth day because that's not competitive. Uh, and, but it, it was also the end of that team. Uh, it just was. They were, there were six games out then that lost six in a row that just gotten swept by the first place team that was red hot. Uh, Jake Arietta couldn't get out of the third inning, I believe, of that game. It, it was a given, handed a seven run lead. That's bad. That's, <laughs> I mean, we know that's bad, but that, that felt like a low point. It, was the low point and i think that's that's one of those things where you can't be hyperbolic about it in the moment right we we sometimes feel like okay don't overreact don't overreact in the moment but i think we all kind of had it we we had that right we're like this is a huge moment and it was and that kind of was the deciding factor because it kind of looked like they were going to get back like that would have put them at four games back right if they would they jump out to a seven game lead it's like okay breathe it's not a huge losing streak anymore. We we back to four games out. We're going to Cincinnati where they didn't score. It wasn't like they didn't pitch in Cincinnati. They didn't score that weekend in Cincinnati. I think that was the next series. And they got swept in Cincinnati scoring barely any runs, which is weird. So I wonder how much of that was mental and 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 just like, oh, we can't buy a win right now type type mentality. Uh but obviously just just a huge moment uh, that completely changed the direction of this season. I also think there are obviously limits to whatever we write or what anyone else writes. And just seeing Chris Bryant, the image of him in the dugout after he found out he got traded and uh, crying there, I thought said more. I, I had sat through so many press conferences of him saying, sure, I listen. I love being a Cub. And then I'd go on Twitter after tweeting it out and be like, Boris won't let it happen. He's on, He's out of here. And it was just this kind of no matter what he said – People always assumed he'd be gone, and I think just his reaction in the moment, just spontaneous, totally genuine, I thought summed up uh, his true feelings uh, about his Cubs experience. There were some complications within that, some moments of friction and tension, but I think leaving the building, uh, it was this emotionally exhaustive process and that he was very anxious in those final minutes uh sitting in the clubhouse conversing with David Ross uh going down walking down the stairs into the batting tunnel there with his phone which he normally doesn't do that uh he didn't want to leave but as he saw everyone else leaving he was like really this is this is how it's going to going to go down and that 
Uh, he wound up in really an, an ideal scenario that I think uh, would be the odds-on favorite to be his next team for the next, say, six or seven years. Yeah, yeah, fantastic beasts if you are emotionally disconnected enough to get through it at this point. And I thought you guys did a fantastic job. Uh, that is Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney at The Athletic, where you can get that piece. And this is on to Waveland, which is the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation, and you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would we would think that that is swell of you to do that. So uh, have a great weekend ahead. We will see you next week. And, uh, you know, we'll be back, back on our good stuff. Uh, the Cubs probably, what, good? Six game winning streak by then? Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll we'll come up with reasons why that's actually a good thing. Or at least I will. So uh thank you folks. Take care. Back at you soon. Bye.